It is a real privilege to work on a, a staff, a ministerial staff uh, that includes musicians that are sensitive to the moment and to uh, everything that happens. And so I hope you, you could, if you retraced the entirety of the service, you'll see everything is woven together quite beautifully. So thank you to our musicians today. Our scripture is from uh, the book of Romans, uh, chapter 6, Paul's letter to the Romans. And I think we should pray before we hear this. <laughs> Let us pray. God, send your Holy Spirit upon us and move among us to startle us with joy and wisdom and vision that we might receive this day what you are saying to your church. In Christ we pray. Amen. I encourage you to listen to the story Paul is telling here. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may increase? By no means. How can we who have died to sin go on living in it? Do you, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed. So we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died has been freed from sin. But if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple of weeks ago, right here in this very place, uh, we had vacation Bible school. I think if you were here last week, you heard uh, Pastor Leah talk about it. We still have one of our banners up from there. And we put on VBS on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday too. We put on VBS Thursday, Friday, the whole week through. There were lots of people doing lots of jobs, shepherding the 80 plus kids that joined us here on our campus, going to and fro throughout the day. There was those who checked the kids in and those who checked the kids out. There were discovery teachers and game leaders and snack providers and music maestros and drama directors and calm room caregivers. And there was a Bible story teller. This latter job fell to me. I love a good story. Kids love a good story too. Stories do so much. They teach and shape and entertain and captivate and leave us all with something memorable, something that shapes us without our even noticing. Stories make for good VBS. 
each day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday too, Thursday, Friday, the whole week through. Each day I needed to come up with a story to tell. And we had the first day the creation of Adam and Eve, the human being and the living being. And we, we had the story of Jesus' baptism. And we had the story of the sower and the seeds. And we had the story of Adam and Eve again, but this time with the snake. And lastly, we had the story of the new Jerusalem, the holy city in which the river of life flows and the tree of life grows and a big tent of God comes down where God will dwell with us and God will be our God. Stories also make for good sermons on Sunday mornings. For the very same reasons that they're good for kids on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday too, Thursday, Friday, you're catching on, good. Stories are memorable. Stories are personable and relatable and stories teach us something and shape us even when we're not paying attention. The learning just sneaks up on us and catches us by surprise. And the story that we hear on Sunday comes back to us on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday too. Stories that come back the whole week through. Because stories are so powerful, we, we need to be mindful of the stories we tell. As Stephen Sondheim says in Into the Woods, be careful of the things you say. Children will listen. Be careful of the things you do. Children will see and learn. Children may not obey, but children will listen. Children will look to you for which way to turn, to learn what to be. So be careful before you say, listen to me. Stories are indeed powerful, and children are listening, children of all ages. And so when we turn to our scripture today from the sixth chapter of the book of Romans, we face a clear and present conundrum. It just doesn't feel like a story, not a story that we would tell to children on any day of the week, let alone tell the children of God on a Sunday morning. There is little in Paul's letter to the Romans that makes for easy children's sermons, believe me, I know. Condemnation, trespasses, substitutionary atonement, justification, righteousness, and the dominion over sin and death, and reconciliation and undeserved grace, and then there's all those therefores and since thens. We need a flowchart, a flow chart, a map, and a Venn diagram just to make sense of Paul's logic, Paul's preaching. I've been struggling to read Romans all my life. I want to tell Paul, just tell me a story and I'll get it. But you know what I realized is that in reading Paul this week, there is a story there. It's a story that he assumes we know. It's a story behind the therefores and the since thens. It's the story of scripture from Genesis onward. It's the story of God's creation and care, of God's law and love, and of God's righteous ire and reconciling grace. For Paul, it's a story that starts with Adam and Eve in Genesis and runs all the way through the Alpha and Omega of Revelation. Let's see if we can hear the old, old story 
behind Paul's proclamation. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may increase? Imagine Adam and Eve, just after they've been kicked out of the garden and they're feeling pretty glum about themselves and their circumstances. Adam, so Eve, I guess God takes that sin stuff pretty seriously, huh? Eve, you think? Good one, Captain Obvious. Adam, well, I know it looks bad. I mean, I mean, we don't get all that great free food anymore and we're going to have to work hard all the time and experience pain and pay taxes and then we're going to die. I don't even know what that means, but it doesn't sound very good at all. Huh, Eve says, I'm not sure either. But you know that thing that you named a mosquito a little a while ago and then you just smushed? Well, it didn't get up and fly away. Maybe, maybe that's what it means to be dead. Adam, I don't think I like that. I don't think I like that at all. At least we're not dead yet. God was pretty nice about that tree thing and the apple in the end. I think we were supposed to die, but we didn't. At least we've got that. Maybe we should try sinning again and just see how far God's niceness actually goes. Eve. Blank stare. Adam, did you get kicked in the head by that thing, what did you call it, a mule? Look, we've already seen how good God can be. Let's not try our luck. We've got to stay in God's good graces. We're living on borrowed time. We're living in, how do we say it, grace? It's like Eve joins Paul in saying, by no means, how can we who have died to sin go on living in it? The story behind chapter 6 of Romans starts with Adam and Eve and how their actions set humanity on a road to nowhere and how Moses comes into the picture later on and how God uses the law to build a fence around the community, a powerful boundary marker that hems the people in behind and before and tells them how to live in relation to God and to one another. And then comes the gospel story. Paul assumes we know it, as if we could take all four gospel accounts of Jesus' prophesied birth and his prophetic ministry and his purposeful death and sum them all up in a single saying, Christ has died for us, was buried for us, and he rose for us to set us free from the present evil age and the sin that clings so close. On the second day of VBS, we told the story of Jesus' baptism and how the Spirit came down as a dove from heaven, and a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. We told the story of John the baptizer, calling out to the crowds with friendly sayings like, You, voodoo, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. We acted out how the crowds responding to John's message got baptized. And then we told the story about how Jesus was baptized and he was led by the Spirit out into the desert. But we didn't talk about the part of the story that when we get baptized, we die. We kind of went quickly by that part. part but, part but it is part of the story. When we are baptized, we die with Christ. Just like, 
Like Jesus dying on the cross and entering the tomb, so too our baptism is a kind of death. And explaining that to children is like Eve looking over at Adam and trying to explain something neither one of them knew anything about. Well, death is like. I remember when I was nine years old and my grandfather passed away. And this was my father's father, Grandpa Stubb. His real name was Warren. I don't know why all his life he was called Stubb. I was in the fourth grade in the middle of the school day and someone brought a, t a message to the teacher. The teacher came over to me and said, Michael, you, you need to go to your locker and get your things and go meet your family out front. This was unusual. And then she leans in close and she says, your grandfather has died. And right then, I was taken out of school, packed into a car with my parents and my three sisters and the German Shepherd, all going on a six-hour car drive across the Massachusetts Turnpike to the New York Thruway and into a tiny village in the Adirondacks where everyone I knew was sad. It's the sadness I remember and the deep quiet. The Apostle Paul assumes we know the story of death. The world can be cruel. It can be violent and disease-laden. We are surrounded by the signs of death and decay. And therefore, when Paul says, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we were buried with him by baptism into his death? Paul also expects us to follow along with the rest of the story. And so it is, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in the newness of life. That is because we have died with Christ, we too will live with him. This is hard enough for any of us to understand. We can say it out loud, but we may not truly get it on the level of our soul. It's not just Adam and Eve who struggled with the meaning and reality of death. We all do. Very few of us have died, let alone lived after dying. And so it's hard to explain without a story. So I know just at this point, we might be able to pull out Eric Carle's very, The Very Hungry Caterpillar book, they know it right here in the front, very hungry caterpillar, and told the story about the caterpillar who eats and eats and eats and eats and eats and eats until one day he forms a cocoon and after a while of very long anxious waiting, he comes out a butterfly. And I'm, I'm sorry if I, uh, I should have said spoiler alert, I didn't mean to reveal the end of the story. This book though, as ingenious in its storytelling as it is, is more about the process of change and transformation. And it does not capture the finality and the, and the profound depth of death. What story could we tell that catches the world-shattering devastation of the death of Jesus? And how the life journey of faith means that we join with Christ in this very dying. Paul assumes we know the story the story that says our old self was crucified right along with Jesus on that really awful, very bad, no good day. And because we know that story, Paul can say, 
because we have been united with him in a death like his. And here comes the good news part of the story. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The word Paul uses for united here tells the story of two trees growing up independently, but for some reason get intertwined. And from therefore ever onward and upward, they become one tree. The word, new to me, but the word is symphysis. Two living things growing to become one. It draws of the picture also of two children in one womb, sharing one placenta. The word suggests something organic, an ingrafting, where two come together to make one, sharing one life source, one vascular system, one heart even. And this is the way that we are united with Christ in his death and in his rising new life. And this new life means being no longer enslaved. And just as it's difficult to talk about death, having never experienced it, so too it's difficult to talk about the freedom that is won for us in Christ Jesus if we have never experienced the devastation of slavery. But we are people of compassion and empathy. We understand that slavery comes in many forms. And Paul says, in joining Jesus in his death, we die to the old life of sin that enslaved. And we are now conjoined with Christ where his life-giving resurrection flows through us. Because Christ lived solely because of God's grace and glory, we live because Christ's life flows through us. And we are freed to live our lives solely for God, loving our neighbors as ourselves. It is an old, old story. It is a very human story. It is a very good story. It is a very God story. Sin and salvation, death and life, loss and redemption, captivity and freedom, alienation and reconciliation, enmity and unification. It is our story. It is God's story. In dying with Christ, we rise with him. Paul says, I have been co-crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. This is symphysis. It is unity. It is a story ultimately about love, a story for Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday too. A story for Thursday, Friday, the whole week through. The end of Paul's story goes something like this. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. On our last day of VBS, we told the story that comes from the Omega end of history. The last story told in the book of Revelation, perhaps you know it. The one where the earth and the sea are no more and there's a new heaven and a new earth and the holy city comes down out of heaven from God adorned like a bride for her husband. And in the city is no evil and God will come and dwell with them and there will be no more weeping or crying or pain or death and God will come and wipe every tear from their eye. And in the midst of the city is a river which flows with the waters of life. And by the waters of life grows a tree, a tree whose leaves are the healing for the nations. It's a great story. 
And we don't have to wait, though, for the end of time to experience God's story, one in which we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. God comes even now through the Holy Spirit, bringing us not only the healing of the nations, but the healing of our hearts. God picks each of us up and leads us into the tent of meeting and comforts and whispers. All that mourning, all that crying, all that weeping, all that dying. Such hard work for you. Come and rest. And in resting be restored. Healing is here. God says, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift, Scripture says. Adam and Eve say, come. Moses says, come. Isaiah says, come. John the baptizer says, come. And Jesus says, come. The story for Sunday and Monday and Tuesday too, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, the whole week through, the story ends with the invitation to come and be united with Christ, grow together with Christ, his spirit and the God who calls us and comforts us and strengthens us and nourishes us. Come. Come.